going to do something this morning that we don't usually do, but I'm going to start with a chant. Anicca Vata Sankara Upadava Yadomino Upakitva Neruchanti Te Sang Vipasamo Sukho All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be at peace with this truth brings great happiness. That line, to be at peace with the truth of Anicca, brings great happiness. So how do we find peace in this ever-changing, impermanent, inconstant life? And through that, through that peace, find happiness. That's what I want to talk about this morning. With just a little bit of an aside to start with. When we started the Sunday sits over five years ago, our guiding teachers instructed us to teach from what we know to be true. Take the Dhamma topic and look closely at what we know about it and how we actually practice with it. And as we continue to do this, and the we I'm talking about are the six of us who are local Dharma leaders, we also share the areas where we might have gaps or limitations or difficulty in that part of our practice. So I share with you this morning my understanding of Anicca, and I do it with great humility. I'm as far along as I am, and each of you is as far along as you are. So we're gonna do some exploring this morning of Anicca. Being with the truth of Anicca, with the truth of impermanence, I believe creates attention in our lives. It's the very nature of all of us humans to connect with people and objects and to care about them. Not only when we like things do we bring a caring attention, but pretty much all of life. You know, if we end up in certain conditions and if we're really fortunate, like many of us are here this morning, we have homes that we live in, furnishings that each might have a kind of story of how and where we found them. If we're fortunate, we have work that we really enjoy. And we find challenging. Perhaps we have musical or other artistic challenges or talents and and we care about the songs and the art that we create or the gardens that we create and all the veggies and flowers that are come up in them. Friendships from many years that we tend and care about. And within all that caring is the truth of their endings, their impermanence. This tension, I think, is underlying the practice of being with the truth of Anicca. So how do we find peace in the midst of this tension? So I first want to share some thoughts about how I think we can find peace with the truth of impermanence. And then I'll talk a little bit about how I think this peace leads to happiness. And here here we go. (laughs) So the first thing I think is really important is to acknowledge all the ways, gross and subtle, that we deny or resist this truth of impermanence. Some of them are real obvious and some are more nuanced. It might just be the thoughts that come up like, 
it shouldn't be this way. This is wrong. It's unfair. And why did this happen to me? And what can I do to fix it? So I'm suggesting that we're just starting this month of Anicca and that we look at all the ways that we're maybe uncomfortable with the truth of this inconstancy, this lack of continuity and solidity. I think there are some different ways that we can explore our resistance. One is to look at how we deal with beginnings and endings. You know, think about all the enthusiasm and interest that arises in the beginning of something, all the hopefulness, and then then the project begins, or you move into a new house, or you take a new job, or you, you have a new friendship or a new relationship, and things don't necessarily turn out the way you thought they were going to. Or this creation, this friendship, job, home, business, whatever, continued for a long time. And then there came some clarity or maybe just a sense that it was time for it to be over. Or perhaps others are telling you that it's time for it to be over and you're resisting that. I know that I'm dealing with this. I made a decision to retire from my business by the end of next year. And what that means for the business and the community that Bill and I, Bill was my partner for 35 years that we created and worked so hard at for so many years. So for me, looking at the endings, specifically the ending of what we call our business here, Pellington Village, is really helping me deal with my own relationship with Anicca. Another way might be to examine some of your underlying attitudes and opinions about Anicca. To get angry about the certain circumstances that You're okay with some changes and some endings in some areas of your life, but not all of them. You've got that kind of exception list, those conditions or people we find ourselves insisting that they stay the same. Friends of mine who um, were dealing with addictions and when they got sober or clean and they found that some of their friends didn't know what to do with them and couldn't handle them the changes. So, you know, there's all kinds of ways that we resist this. Those of us who are parents, boy, do we know that one well. We watch our children who choose their own ways to show their independence. And sometimes really painfully, many years ago, my son stopped talking to me for months. You know, it was what he needed to do. Another way um, is to understand that while we accept changes and endings, we want the change to happen in ways that we like. So couples who've been together a long time often have visions of how they want to age together. They accept the truth of aging, but they want it to be a certain way. Before Billy died, he was designing this three-wheeled bicycle with a back compartment for me. And he had this vision that, as we could no longer ride our two-wheel bicycles, he was going to ride me all along, all around the city. So what happens if aging manifests in different ways than we planned? You know, the diminishment that happens with our bodies and minds is going to be different for each of us. For some, the joints stay healthy and well into one's 80s, and so they play pickleball and go hiking. For others, that's not the case. 
So however you, I individually deny or resist or uncomfortable, I invite you to really be aware of it. Think of those experiences when your resistance really was clear. A second way after acknowledging the resistance, and it's really closely connected to the first, is to really deepen our understanding of anicca. Really knowing it, just like the teachings ask us to do. Embody and understand the way everything changes. Our bodies, our relationships, the natural world, personal circumstances. All phenomena is impermanent. In meditation, you know, we sit together in sangha, which is so beautiful. But in truth, we each sit by ourselves. Each time we sit, it's kind of like a be with the truth of things moment. One of the beautiful things I love about the practice is that I've learned to call BS on myself. Bringing a kind of absolute honesty as the thoughts and opinions arise. Because nobody else is there. You know, you don't have to to be careful of what's going on in this crazy mind. You know, when the rationalizations, the half-truths, all the opinions and stories and, you know, that we've carried around forever, when these all come up, you know, it's such an opportunity to look really deeply and honestly at them. You know, we bring our practice to really watching as all these sensations and thoughts arise and what happens when they pass away and what happens when we call BS on them. And the, the gift of that, when we're able to really look beneath what we've called an apparent truth, but we see it as a delusion or an old habit, in our practice, you know, we, we sit with watching phenomena as, it, as they arise and pass away. And we watch what the mind does within all this movement. We all have had this experience in our lives, I think, where we know something kind of above the eyebrows, you know, just that cognitive intellectual knowing. And then we know something that's below the eyebrows. You know, that physically embodied place that's where we really look at the opinions about that knowing. As I mentioned in the, in the sit, aging, illness, and death are the divine messengers that started the Buddha on his path to freedom and awakening. You know, we often see that as a bummer and we don't really want to deal with it. So, a way to deepen that is what I offered this morning is to practice with the five recollections. You know, I start every sit with them. And sometimes, whew, there's a lot of stuff that comes up where I say, certainly the one that the fourth recollection is a hard one where we're going to be separate from everybody. But sometimes, you know, just the aging one is really hard or the illness. Some of you are dealing with illness. And then when, you know, I cannot escape the, the truth of my, that I'm going to die and I feel all of how much I'm attached to living. So playing, paying close attention to what happens when you share those recollections. Utejaniya says that every moment that we bring awareness to life weakens the darkness of delusion. Isn't that beautiful? 
you know, and what we're doing is we're bringing awareness to the rising and falling away of all phenomena, all the expressions of the sense doors and the thoughts and the opinions and the emotions. When we resist the truth of Anicca, we're living in delusion. And in any one sit, we can, you know, practice watching beginnings and endings. You know, that small ache, excuse me, or tension in a part of the body that changes. A mind state that you came into the sit with or started your morning with and then you watch as it changes. That sense of agitation that was just making you like vibrate as you started your sit. And then if you didn't push it away, you'd watch as that agitation kind of calms down. You know, we can say, oh, right, agitation was just passing through. And that's the same for everything else. They're just passing through. And in daily life, it's not just on the cushion. As long as we're paying close attention, we can really see these changes. I've been dealing with a lot of changes on my property and business. And last week, I felt so much sadness about Bill not being here to experience them with me and wondering what he, whether he was okay with all that. And I watched as I took that sadness and I like enveloped myself with a cloak of sadness. I walked around with this for a couple days. And then on the third day, I woke up and I noticed the sadness was gone. So it was the noticing that's really the key, the noticing of these changes, the noticing of the attachment and the noticing of the letting go, the presence and the absence. I think probably all of you have had that experience where you take form or identity and an emotion. So watch as you take form and watch as you notice it, that you've realized that that's what you've been doing and then let it go. And this is all part of our practice with Anicca. So Anicca isn't a partial truth. It's an absolute one. It's not only true sometimes or in some circumstances, it's true all the time, everywhere, with everything. That fourth recollection that everything and everyone I hold dear are subject to change. I cannot escape becoming separate from them. Whew. I think you could work with that one as your entire practice. A third way to find ease is to really see those times when you're trying to hold on really tight to things. It might be a specific experience or a job. Certainly, I'm doing that a lot with Ellington Village, my business, you know, and I'm watching as businesses change and grow and people move on and leave. And by the fall, out of my eight tenants, only three of them will have been here for a while and only two of them even knew Bill. So there's a lot of changes. And boy, I watch myself as I hold on. Perhaps one of the easiest and the hardest arenas to see how Anicca plays out, I think, is within love relationships. It's the easiest to see how challenging it can be. But boy, it can be one of the hardest to really accept. As you care deeply for someone and you feel they're caring deeply for you, you watch as you want more. You want more connection, more continuity. There's such an inherent paradox 
intention in love. Connection with others, it's essential to our being. But with it com- comes with such a strong desire to hold on. And then right next to the holding on is this knowing that it too is impermanent. So what do you do? I suggest that that's a really fruitful area for examining. Several of us attended um, the memorial service yesterday at UFM for Tuary son Thaddeus. She started the service with a comment about how we don't go through hard things alone. We're all here together. So when that sense of dis-ease with Anicca comes up, reach out to others in the Sangha. Talk about what's going on with you. Listen to how they are practicing with their three characteristics. And perhaps some of that dis-ease will become more easeful. My last suggestion for finding ease with the truth of Anicca is something that I find really helpful, and it's to take a phrase or line from a sutta or a poem and turn it into a mantra for yourself. You know, really repeat them, maybe put them on post-its and put them around your house if your people you're living with will let you do that. Um, You know, it might be something like, will this thought or action lead to suffering or the end of suffering? Or shorter, you know, that this mind state is just passing through. Or perhaps just a phrase like, just as it is, or just this. Or the first line of the chant, all things are impermanent. For me, I love Ajahn Chah's phrase that the teacup is already broken. I've been using that one for a long time and Remember last week when Arv told that wonderful story about his grandma in India, who from the moment the family from America arrived, she starts grieving their their departure. And I was thinking that she's living with the tension of Anicca, you know, and it was so beautiful. So sometimes with this teacup is all already broken, I also morph it into... This relationship is already over. You know, I've been a widow for five and a half years, and I met somebody recently, and who knows about that? We won't won't go about there, but, you know, I think about, he's such a nice man, and, you know, this relationship, what if I bring this relationship is already over to our interactions? What does that happen? What What does that do to how we interact with the people who we love in our lives. If this moment is the last moment that you'll ever be seeing that person, you know, how do you want to relate to them? How do you bring up hard topics? What do you do with the things that really irritate you about the other person? You know, I think that when you really sit with Anicca and the impermanence and that this, the teacup is already broken, that the heart might come forward and be even more generous and caring. You know, I don't know, but it's, it's a hope. I may have told this story before, uh, the last time I saw Bill the morning he died, <clears throat> but it's, it's one that I, I really appreciate and, and hold dear to my heart. He was teasing me, as he always did, about how I really can't eat breakfast at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I was on my way to a day-long retreat. 
So I asked him if he could finish my breakfast and he always teased me about it. He was standing at the sink washing dishes and I went up to him and I said, hey, mister, turn around and give me a kiss. And it, you know, and of course he did. And that was the last time I saw him alive. So of course I wasn't always so kind and affectionate and are any of us always so, so good and caring, but boy, am I grateful that that's, that my heart led the way that morning. So now I want to spend just a couple minutes on talking about if you can be at ease with Anicca, which is what I just have shared some thoughts about. How does that ease lead to happiness? So I got a few thoughts about this. One is, you know, how when we take refuge and we take refuge in the Dhamma, what that means is we're taking refuge in the truth of the way things are. And I think there's an ease in accepting that the life in all of its different manifestations shows up and we don't have to do anything to make it show up or make it disappear. Our job is just choosing how to respond appropriately. That's it. There's such an ease and a kind of relief in that. We all, we work so hard to control life. But Anicca teaches us how little control we actually have. And I think we can see it as a gift. I think we can turn our attitudes around and say, this is an invitation to end all the struggle to control and fix. When we really accept the truth of impermanence, I think it can strengthen our intention and our ability to be fully present in the moment. And when we fully engage, we've all had this experience. When you're fully in an experience, the joy that comes from that. And sometimes your mind might go to some of those more extreme experiences, like I think about some of our big ocean kayaking trips, or when I recently went down on an inner tube on the river with my niece, those kinds. But there's also those more quiet daily moments where you're fully engaged with life, where you're so appreciating the new blossom that's come in your garden, or you appreciate your one of your children, or you appreciate your partner, or you just am feeling fully grateful of your life. There's so much joy in being fully alive and fully grateful. One of my favorite meta phrases is the one that says, may I or may you find ease in life just as it is. Those last four words, just as it is, are such an invitation to knowing the comings and goings, the arisings, the passings away. Just as it is, I think it's the heart of Anicca and it's a pathway to happiness. I don't know what teacher said this, but I really like it. Um, This person said, the purpose of meditation is to see Anicca in action. We know, I mean, especially those of us who've been practicing a long time, and you wouldn't give up your practice because there's so much joy that comes from it. There's such a sense of peace and rightness that comes from our practice. 
this refuge that we take in the practice that brings us such a sense of happiness deep within that's not dependent on external circumstances, that joy in the quiet of the practice, that the realization that you can find quiet anywhere, even in the midst of the craziness of our lives, the joy that comes when we realize that there's the reduction of all the noise and agitation and constantly striving and getting and clinging and losing and striving and getting and clinging and losing again and again. And there are moments when we see it and we just kind of like release some of that tight holding, that joy and that letting go, that just being, that just being with, it brings such joy. And we know that joy doesn't live in isolation. It coexists with other emotional states. Yesterday, the celebration of Tuweri's son, Thaddeus, his life, I cried, a lot of us cried, and I smiled throughout the whole thing. It brought tears to my eyes and a smile to my face. I mean, talk about an experience of impermanence and celebrating a life that had a beginning and an ending. Last week when Tuweri was talking about Dukkha, she suggested that being fully with Dukkha is a doorway into the sacred. And I think that's also true about being fully with the truth of Anicca, with the truth of impermanence. There is joy in those moments of connecting with the sacred. So I end my talk with, where are you in your relationship with Anicca? Wherever you are, there's no need to beat yourself up because you're not further along. And there's um, some really great words from Aya Kema, who was this wonderful teacher. Um, her name is spelled A-Y-Y-A-K-H-E-M-A. Look her up and her books are great. So she's, this statement is about a different set of teachings, but I think it's really good. She says, let us accept the fact that the Buddha knew the truth when he said, everybody had seven underlying tendencies. Sensual desire, ill will, speculative views, skeptical doubt, conceit, craving for continued existence, and ignorance. Find them in yourself. Smile at them. Do not burst into tears because of them. Smile and say, well, there you are. I'll do something about you. And that's something we're going to do. We're going to keep practicing within each other. So all things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be at peace with this truth brings great happiness. Whew. Thank you for your attention and thank you for your practice. So I'm going to break us up into groups. And you're welcome to leave if you want. I, I really encourage you to stay. And um, sharing in these small groups is such a way of really building the connections in Sangha. And I think in some ways it's even more important because we've been on Zoom all these years. Um, I know that when, like yesterday when I saw Linda Hoffman at the, and I thought, oh, 
I never see you in person, but I feel like I really know you. And that's partly because we're in these groups together. So if you're able to, please stay and um, know that you can just stay and listen. And so here's my prompt. What is your current relationship with Anicca? And how are you trying to fully live that truth? You can talk about resistances or areas where you're not so so fully um, listening to the truth of that. Just some reminder about the guidelines. Um, we listen fully. We give everyone their time. We don't offer advice. If somebody asks you, well, what do you think? For sure, share. But we're not we're not trying to fix each other. And then we hold all of whatever is said with as much kindness and care as we can. So I will work on breakout groups. I will call you back. So it's just a, it's 11.02. So I'm going to give you a good, good 15 minutes. That should be plenty of time for everyone to um, have some time to um, share how this truth of impermanence is landing on you. Enjoy your group. So welcome back, everybody. So we have some time for you to share. Um, Just knowing that you should be sharing your own um, stuff. And if you... um, or sharing some topic that came up in your group, just being mindful of not um, sharing something that isn't yours. Um, You can either go to the reactions button and um, it will let you raise your hand or just make some noise, some movement, or just you should be able to just unmute. Hi, Claire, can you not unmute? Okay, where is that? Trying to find the button. I, oh. There you go. Hi, Claire. Yeah. Hi. Um, so nice to see all of you today. Um, this one is dear to my heart for for sharing with my little grandson. He's he's three and a half, and he's really concerned about dying right now, like three and four year olds are about who's dying and that people are dying and that he might die. You know, so how do we teach this to, to kids? This, this um, concept of impermanence. What have, what have you done thus far when he's brought up anything? Um, just uh, trying to normalize it, like I was saying in the group, you know, the flower dies. And... But it's just so poignant. I'm just curious, how how is it done in in a Buddhist society? That's a good question, and I um, I don't know um, how it's done there. Anybody want to want to take a stab at this one? Yes, Deanna, please. Uh, well, I have a grandson too. Yeah, and I'm and I'm a teacher and I try to like I teach first grade so they're 6 and 7 but I try to take a lot of my own life learning into the classroom and um this is just a suggestion I don't know if it's right but 
teaching impermanence maybe like make it relevant to their age. Like for instance, and this might sound silly, but I'm just thinking it popped in my head about like shoes or clothing, like that he grew out of or something like, you know, like, or a toy that he no longer wants. It's like, so start with something that's like relevant to him and like, see, you don't need that anymore. You know, it's, or it broke or something, but you'll get something else in the future you know, maybe kind of make it relevant. And I don't know if that's helpful, but it just popped in my head about shoes or clothes or something like that. Yeah. Thanks, Deanna. Of course, this came up last week, too, with um, Lillian in, in Idaho, who the little ones who didn't want to didn't want to get grow old, didn't want to get older. Um, Helen, please share. Um, so as a prior school psychologist who worked with really young kids for a long time, I think, I mean, my, I, I can't say at all how it's done in Buddhist societies. I'm really curious about that. Um, but I think there's a balance. There's two sides. One, children want reassurance, right? Because it's a scary unknown and it's really hard for them to wrap their heads around. And so my recommendation is, to be honest, right? There's no, like, I I always cringe if I hear an adult say, don't worry, I'm never going to leave you or nothing's ever going to happen to me. Like, that's not helpful. But you also really want to reassure that depending on what it is they're fixated on, like, yes, you know, living things eventually die, but you're safe. You know, like if it were my child, I don't plan on going anywhere. And if something did happen to me, here's, you know, here is who's going to take care of you, or here is something that's, that's reassuring while not denying that it, that it is part of life. They, they kind of want to know that they're not going to find themselves totally alone. And um, it's a scary thing to try to grapple with. So it's a, it's a combination, I think of, you are safe, I am okay. I mean, if it's true, right? Like if their parent is unhealthy, and maybe going to die, then you have to deal with it differently. You don't want to lie to children but they also want reassurance that they're going to be safe. Thanks, Helen. Yeah. Anyone else with that experience or wants to share on another aspect of Anicca? Everybody has a real easy time with it. (laughs) Cheryl, please. And then Jean. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, the impermanence of losing somebody, you know, the separation part and how difficult that is and, and how, you know, we can't we can't just can't just make ourselves be OK with it. It's still going to really hurt. And um, and for me, um, in my in my own practice of, you know, of, of losing or feeling insecure or, or you know, um, is there, there might be a lot of tears and there might be a lot of pain and anguish and thinking, you know, you know, and, and all the stuff I've really screwed this, <laughs> this is my, you know, all that stuff. And, and, uh, and then, and then bringing it back to impermanence, bringing it back to, 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 uh, dependent origination, really. I didn't say that then, but, but that I have noticed so much over the past since I've begun practicing and especially maybe in the past four years, how, how my perceptions really shape. Um, my beliefs and and um, and while there is impermanence and everything, I can make it a whole lot worse. <laughs> so yeah, 
Yeah, we're really good at that second arrow, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> and yesterday, again, in that memorial service, that was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Tawari started out with this huge smile on her face, and she was so happy having everybody there. She talked about how she want in the morning she had wanted it all to be over. You know, she was kind of had trepidation about it, and there was so much joy. And then when the the little film started showing pictures of Thaddeus and how she we all watched her sit up there sobbing, and it was just what you're saying that both and the joy and the sadness and the pain and they coexist. They just, you know, there they are. There's life. Anyway, Jean, please. Um, I've always uh, thought that the particular uh, beauty of having pets is that they are one of the teachers in our lives. Uh, They come and they go faster than humans. And so it's sort of like a gift from them to us to practice with. And I have to confess that I, in the the realm of impermanence, I am ambiguous about there is no solid ground. It depends on what the situation is. Some things I'm okay with, some things I just cling to what I want or am adverse to what I don't want. And so um, it's difficult sometimes to just uh, be where I am. Amen, brother. That's, I think we could all identify with what you just said, you know, that I think it's this, um, it's what I started my talk with. I think that if you're lucky enough to be mentally and physically healthy, especially the mental health, and you want to live, not, not everybody does, but for those of us who really love life, there's that inherent tension because we don't want to let it go. Just like what you're saying, you know, we hold on and it's because we love it, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, there we are in this. Um, and it may be why a lot of us came to the practice to begin with, because how do you, how do you live with, how do you live with that? How do you make sense of it? Many of us, um, I know I grew up with a lot of death in my family. You know, and yeah. So how do you make, how do you make sense of, of what's, what's this all about? And I think the practice gives us some direction and some ways of navigating that. Yeah. Thanks, Jean. So, um, thank you all for being here and let's just take One last moment. Sorry about being two minutes over. May the sincerity and the depth of our practice, the honesty with which we share with each other, and our commitment to the truth of things, may that be a benefit to all of us and to beings everywhere. May all of us know the ease of being in life just as it is.
thank you all. Thanks for the new folks who joined us, for everybody else who comes. We really appreciate you.